You have a Bible nearby. Let's let's turn together to Mark chapter five. Something special when you, when the church just starts singing like that. Mark chapter 5 uh, is a, an interesting story, and um, we're just going to walk through it a little bit at a time, which is one of my favorite ways to teach, and I'm going to definitely take some liberties with the, with the text a little bit, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Not liberties in a lightning might strike me kind of way, but uh, just kind of trying to pull some lessons that maybe we can learn out of this um, if you, if you were to look at the, the 10 different topics um, that we're offering this summer, this is not a commercial to try to get you to sign up for them or whatever, but just an acknowledgement that uh, just seeing the unique ways that God just puts his fingerprints on things, um, all, of, all 10 of them really kind of fall under the same umbrella of um, equipping us to go and to, to do what Christ has called us to do, getting us ready to do that. And some of them are equipping us, you know, just very, like, you know, internally. It's edifying our hearts and our minds and helping us um, you know, to, to get where we need to be, to stay where we need to be, um, you know, to learning how to abide, what the kingdom is about, how do you, how do you, live that kind of life in, in humility. I mean, all these things are tied together. And so some of them are, are very, they're very personal. Um, and some of them are, um, are really about others, you know, a missional life and, and how to respond when, when you're living that, that, that life that is focused on others and then it begins to bear fruit. But some of that fruit is a little bit intimidating. You know, there's one of the, one of the, the topics, one that Joel is, is teaching. And it's like, okay, so what do you do when, you know, you've been praying for your coworkers, your neighbors, or people that you even live with. I mean, you've been just praying that, that God would use them. And when I say missional, um, I'm talking about joining God in what he's doing in, in the earth, no matter where that is, um, and, and living the, the kind of, of life where you want everybody that you're around to know the things we've been singing about tonight. To know what Jesus did for them, to know their, their value, to know uh, what you know, that life is about a personal, like an, an actual personal relationship with God. Um, and so we're out living life trying to, to make sure that, that everybody is aware of that. And how they respond to it is different, but our job is to make sure that they know. And so one of them is like, okay, so let's say you're doing that and, you, you know, you've been, you've been praying for those that you work with and stuff, and then one day they come and they confide in you about something that is absolutely just huge. And so they're looking to you as the Christ follower to know how to guide them. And you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know. You know, what do you do? 
what do you, how do you walk with someone through grief? You know, how do you walk with someone through those things? Um, so some of the topics, like I said, focus internally, and some of them are getting you ready to go and invest in the lives of people around you. Some of them are, you know, there's one on finances that is kind of helping us get our house in order, but also so we can help other people get their house in order. There's one on marriage. It's being taught by the, the resident expert on marriage, me. Uh, there's uh, that one. I mean, if, if marriage is supposed to be a picture of Jesus and the church, then it would behoove us to continue to try to dig into that more so that that picture is looking accurate, you know? Um, so really, all those things are um, God's way of not only edifying and encouraging and building us up and, and allowing us to be discipled within our community, but it's also getting us ready to go. It's, it's, it's both at the same time. Um, you have some church cultures that are very, it's, it's all about who, who's in the room, and we're going we're gonna to focus on you know, us, and some are just completely, there's so, so much about reaching out that there's no discipleship happening in, you know, inside, and so we're trying to, you know, here we are, how, how do we make sure everything's, you know, all that's happening, you know, the individual, the within the church community, and reaching outside the community, and then the whole time God's like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep doing it, you know, I'm going to keep making it happen, you don't have to come up with a plan, or a scheme, or a book, or a program to do it, just, just listen to me, and I'll make sure you're on the right path. And when, after the elders and staff had back, you know, back and forth the topics and stuff, and I looked at the 10 topics, and I was like, wow, okay, he's got this. We're, we're going somewhere. Now, this story teaches, shows us some things about Jesus and his ministry that are very unique. So we're going to go real slow. Look at verse 1 in Mark chapter 5, just verse 1. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, all right? Now, if you look in, uh, look back in chapter 4, all right, Jesus is with his disciples, so he's just dropped the uh, parable of the sower on them, okay? So he's just blown their minds with, the, uh, with that. It's awesome. He's just been teaching them and all these parables and stuff. And then um, at the end of, toward the end of, of chapter 4, he says, let's go to the other side, and they um, are crossing the Sea of Galilee. Now, when Jesus says, let's go to the other side, the other side means going to an area called the Decapolis, and uh, the Decapolis uh, was not a place that good, that a good rabbi and his good disciples would go. In fact, uh, the Jewish community did not want to go to the, to the Decapolis region at all. It was a region mostly on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. So you know how we, in uh, Acts one eight where it says you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria. You know, Judea was a region, Samaria was a region, the Decapolis was a region, and it originally was these ten cities, you know, that kind of made up this, this region or whatever. And uh, they weren't really connected, it wasn't really, like, powerful, it wasn't like a state or anything like that. But all these cities, they were, were had very much been Hellenized by this point. And so, um, everywhere that you went, um, it, it was not Jewish. And you would go and there would be, you know, paved roads and... There would be all these, um, these, uh, you know, a shrine to this, you know, one God and an altar where you could worship another God and uh, this, you know, big statue for another God and all these things. So there's all this, this idol worship that would go on. Um, they, uh, this is where the advancements in just general life would happen. So this is where in, in these cities there would be gymnasiums and theaters and all this kind of stuff. The biggest one was called uh, Beth Shan. And uh, when I was in Israel, we got to go to it. And I mean, you're, you're looking, like you're standing up and you're looking at, this, at the ruins of this city. 
And I mean, there's like, they had like a sewage system in the first century in this city. And all these paved roads and big columns and big, you know, the big place where the gladiators fought, you know, and where the Christians died and all this kind of stuff. I mean, this was, these were le- like just completely legitimate cities. And they were just notoriously pagan in the eyes of the Jewish community. So the Decapolis, that would be like, okay, put on your like super judgmental Christian hat for a second. It'd be like Mardi Gras. It'd be like Vegas and New Orleans, like had a baby, and it, there were 10 of them living in this region, times like a 1,000. Because there really was, all right, now take the judgmental hat off, okay? Uh, but that's, that's kind of how they thought of it, is we don't want to go over there because we don't want to be influenced by what they have. And what's interesting is, so, it's okay, so you have Jesus and his 12 disciples, and he's like, let's get in this boat, let's go to the other side. So let's leave the hometown fishing villages. Let's go, let's go over there where the pagans live, where you're not supposed to go because they might influence you and convince you to do bad things and think bad thoughts and, you know, break one of the 600 rules that, you know, existed and whatever. Um, that re- this verse right here tells us something. They came to the other side of the sea. the end of chapter 4, and Jesus is like, let's go over there. It tells us that ministry, ministry has legs and feet. The ministry is, is a, it's a going about of our lives. That there is no field of dreams mentality when it comes to how ministry works. And unfortunately, in America, especially in the South, a lot of church folk kind of think that, you know. We'll build our church building, and then the pagans will just show up at our door. And you know what? It has not worked yet. It has not worked. Because ministry has legs. Now, I'm not saying ministry doesn't happen within a church building, because it absolutely does. But it is not exclusively happening in these gatherings of Christians. The ministry has legs, and it It goes. And so Jesus takes these kids, because they were all probably like 12 to 15, 16 years old, somewhere in there. These kids. He says, let's go. So they get, you know, they get out into the sea, and the Sea of Galilee, like the way the, way the land falls, um, like the wind comes down like real fast from the like Golan Heights, and uh, like the Sea of Galilee is like, you know, drops down, whatever, and the wind comes over the top of these mountains and hits that water, and it creates these super violent storms. And so, um, so they, of course, get out in the water, and of course, on their way to pagan country, uh, the big storm comes up, and they're all freaking out, and they're like, where's Jesus? And dude's asleep in the bottom of the boat. Remember the story? He's asleep, and they're all trying to keep the boat from flipping, and they're like going, they wake him up, and they're like, do you not care that we're drowning, you know, little kids freaking out? Rabbi, don't you care that we're drowning? And he says, you have no faith, and he's like, and everything stops, you know. That's the Jesus noise. That's how he does it. And everything, you know, just calms down. You see, they were, they were, they didn't like the water. And one of the other, uh, in this story and another one of the Gospels, uh, you know, in a minute the pigs are about to go into the water. It's like that story. And it says, don't send us into the abyss. That's what they called the water because they thought that they were like, 
That's, they thought that's where the devil lived, at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. So here, Jesus, when Jesus makes the Jesus noise and everything is calm, he's demonstrating that he has power over, over this dwelling where the devil lives. Now, we know it's just water. But to them, they're like, wow, our rabbi just told the devil to shut up, and he did. So they continue across, and they get to the other side because ministry has legs. Ministry is not going to stay in Capernaum and in the safe places where they were. Ministry was happening there, but Jesus was like, okay, let's go over here because people over here, they need to hear what I have to say as well. And see, for us, it's very much the same thing. Now, I'm not at all like... I'm not the guy that's like uh, blaming culture for everything and blaming the world and, you know, all your coworkers are pagans. and would, uh, That's not me. But I think we'll, we would all agree that we need to be reminded that as we go to work, as we go into our neighborhoods and the places that we live, college students as you go to class, high school students as you go to class, that the places that we go, um, our ministry has legs. So there will be times when ministry is kind of home-based, and there are times when, like, the Lord will bring us into places that also need to hear what we have to say. And maybe what's going on there is, maybe it's, it's a tough environment to be in. I'm sure that when Jesus brought these, these young boys who he was discipling into some of these places where all, there were, and when I say it was like Mardi Gras in Vegas, I'm talking about like all the bad stuff about Mardi Gras in Vegas that it, it's notorious for, that everybody kind of elbows each other, and, uh, Mardi Gras, all that stuff going on openly all the, all the time, like in these cities. So probably when he brought his disciples into these cities, they were like eyes as big as saucers, you know, probably never seen some of this stuff before, probably super uneasy about should I even, should we be here, and why are we here, and, and how are we going to, how are we going to, they're not going to listen to us. They don't need anything. What's awesome is Jesus brought them. And as we go into those places, it's recognizing that, you know what? God is at work where you work. God is doing something um, among your coworkers. You may not see it. You might not work in an environment where there is an ounce of evidence that God is there. But he's there because you're there. That's why he has you there. Because he's already at work and he's brought you there to join him in what he's doing there. In your, in your neighborhood, in your apartment complex, in the, in the classes that you're in, I mean, whatever your world looks like, he's already at work there. That's why he's brought you into there. Talked about Tara a minute ago. She's in Turkey. He's already at work there. That's why he's brought her there. We commissioned summer missionaries a couple weeks ago. The places that they're going, God's already at work there, and he's bringing them in to join them. Because ministry has legs. Now, that does not mean that if you don't go to Mexico or you don't go to Turkey, that you're not really doing ministry. Because maybe, maybe your ministry is staying home with your kids and discipling them. Maybe you're in, in between workplace ministries and you're now to be directed more into the relationships that you already have. Regardless, it has legs if you're walking across the living room or if you're walking across to Turkey. It doesn't really matter. If you were to track Jesus' ministry, they went on foot or by boat all over the place. I mean, it was constant. 
And it's not because he was bored. And he could have sat around in a room with these 12 disciples and taught them everything he, that they needed to know to take over the church. They could have taken lots of notes, memorized a lot of stuff. And he could have been sinless and perfect, died on the cross and whatever, but it shows us something that he was like, let's go here, let's go here, let's go here. Let's go to the synagogue. Now let's go to pagan country. Let's go to Decapolis. Ministry has legs. So, verse 2. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Wouldn't it be awesome if all ministry was that easy? You know? If you like, you know, we, we drive to Mexico and it takes us 39,000 hours to get there. And we step out of the vans and people walk up and be like, would you tell us about Jesus? Yes, we will. That would be awesome. And at first glance, we're like, okay, yeah, it's one of the, you know, it's a unique story. And it is a unique story, but maybe it is that obvious and that easy. Maybe we just don't see it that way. Maybe God is trying to remind us through this story tonight, and especially over the next couple weeks, that although you may not get out of your car at work, and so one of your coworkers come up and, you know, whatever. People, people in need of grace are a lot closer than we tend to think. Maybe they literally do walk up to your car. Maybe they sit next to you in the cubicle next door. Maybe they work next to you somehow. Maybe we just need that awakening to the fact that there's a world all around us. Everybody needs the grace of the Lord. Some people need grace just the way why we pray the priestly blessing on each other, that we need the graciousness of God in our lives. Some people have no idea, have never even heard of grace, and there's all kinds of people in between. Maybe what we need is an awakening to the fact that everywhere we go, whether they know Jesus or not, they need him. We need him. Everybody needs him. So yeah, they get out of the boat, this guy comes up to him. Maybe we shouldn't dismiss that detail too quickly, because maybe it really is, is that easy. Maybe it is that obvious. Maybe we need illumination in our lives to change our lens out to where we begin to, to see the needs around us. Because I think that's really the problem. It's not that the needs aren't there, and they're not, it's not that they're not presenting themselves to us. I think just a lot of times... We're, we're like head down, you're going through your day just trying to get through it. I think sometimes I, I really think it'd just be as simple as maybe literally looking up, but maybe it's, maybe it's just maybe spiritually looking up. Maybe having moments throughout our day when, when you, we really are just saying, like, God, help me to see the needs that are around me. And then you're like, oh, goodness, I see him. You're right there. So this guy comes up to him, look at verse 3. Listen to how he's described. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he rinsed the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. 
Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When Jesus saw him from afar, he ran and fell down before him. That description, that's, that's a heartbreaking description. Now, you may not deal with a lot of demon-possessed people, okay? If you do, you call me because I want to come watch you handle it. <laughs> uh, demon possession might be a bit of a stretch. But if we're, if we're backing up a little bit from this, we, we all know people who are um, being controlled by something else. This guy is being controlled by, by demons to the point where he has superhuman strength. I mean, he's breaking all these, like, breaking chains and, you know, whatever. And he's so miserable that he's just cutting himself over and over again with stones. And he's just crying out. He's in just complete agony and misery. Now, like I said, maybe not demon possession, but we know people who are who are miserable, you know. We know people who are hurting like this. We also know people who are completely fine on the outside. You know, putting on this really nice front, but internally they're crumbling. We also know people who really are fine. They, I mean, they have stuff, they're making money, they have the families, they have the job. They, if, if you were to tell them that they need Christ, they would probably just laugh at you and say, well, I don't need anything. The only thing I need is to just make more money so I can have more stuff. Like they really are like, I, what you're offering me, there's no, I don't really see why I need that. So they're either that deceived or they're putting on that big of a front or they are just really showing the signs of how, just how much they are hurting. But we all know people who are being controlled by materialism, by self-centered living. We know people who are alcoholics. We know people who are drug addicts. We know people who are involved in relationships that are the most unhealthy thing you've ever seen in your life, but they're so insecure that they just stay in it because they can't imagine life otherwise. We know people who are so full of pride um, that... I mean, it's, you just don't even want to be around them, but actually that pride just comes from insecurity because they don't really know who they are. I mean, we know, we know these people. We have come from those very same things. I mean, people who are, those of us who are in Christ, we have been, we've been saved from that, and we are recovering, and we're walking away from those things and walking into the light that Jesus has provided for us. So we understand and we know it's really not that different. When I first like, read through the, the text real well and it talked about cutting himself with stones, I was like, man, if you've been paying attention to teenage culture in the last 10, 15 years, now that cutting is like, you know, it's the new eating disorder is what it's been called. I was like, wow, cutting with stones, like, it's nothing new. There's nothing new. So Jesus takes these kids, gets in a boat, crosses over to go into a region that has kicked this hurting guy out because he's living among the tombs. And they said, look, in our Hellenistic world, you don't really fit in, and so um, we want you to go live with the dead people. 
And so he's out there cutting himself with stones, screaming in complete agony. And here comes the healer in a boat. His ministry has legs. Here comes the healer with his 12 disciples who are going to take over the church. And they're learning about ministry by the fact that they just left ministry and now they're going to do ministry. And both of them are hard and both of them are necessary. And both of them are dependent on Christ. So this guy comes up to him. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he, so Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. So a legion was like 6,000 soldiers, which was considered one legion. So they're not trying to say he had 6,000 demons. They're saying he had a lot of demons in him. Verse 10, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. Okay, so again, if there are pigs there, then you know that like, Jewish people didn't go there. A whole herd of pigs would not happen in a Jewish community. So this was like, they were not very friendly to Jewish people at all. So there's a whole herd over there. Um, and they said to him, they begged him, verse 12, they said, send us to the pigs and let us enter them. So the demons like, you know, freaking out. The demons are freaking out because they know who Jesus is. They're trying to negotiate something with him. And they see all the pigs and they're like, uh, let us go to the pigs. See, this is a side note. We have an enemy and he just wants, he wants to destroy you. He wants to take you out. And he will do whatever it takes to wreck your life. To have you living by the tombs, screaming, breaking chains, scraping yourself with rocks. That's, that's what he wants. And sometimes it's just more subtle uh, because sometimes he wants you going to community group and going to church, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, he'll have you there just enough to where nobody gets concerned, but the whole time you're just completely empty and fake and whatever. Um, we have a very real enemy. This kind of shows you the heart of what he's about because um, this is what they do. Uh, he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of pigs. Rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. That's what the enemy wants to do to you, to drown you in the sea. They couldn't do it to the man. They could do it to the pigs. Now, here's, here's my favorite verse in the whole thing. Verse 13, so he gave them permission. He permitted these demons to leave this dude and go into all these 2,000 pigs, and they ran down the hill and they went down the ocean. Just, just the word, just Jesus saying, okay. That's all it took for this demon-possessed man to have these demons come out of him, was just used to say yes. So we talk about lies and truth and letting Christ speak into situations and, and how Jesus has the power to heal and change any human life. And I mean, we say that all the time and I think because it's absolutely true. He just gave him permission. He's like, oh, okay, I'll do that. And they left him, went to the pigs and killed them all. And so the, verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told in the city and the country and the people came to see what it was that happened. I'm sure they freaked out because all their... They don't know what's going on, so all their pigs just run down the hill and drown in the sea. I mean, 
I mean, I like a good story, but that would freak me out. Verse 16, those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man, to the pigs. They began uh, to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him. But said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Verse 15, I think I skipped this. It says, They came to see Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. In the other accounts, it talks about how the dude had no clothes on before. So in the story, the before shot is a demon-possessed man with no clothes on, who could not be bound by chains, the superhuman strength, scraping himself with rocks and crying out all the, all the time. The aftershot is the dude sitting there with clothes on in his right mind. And what lies in the middle is Jesus saying, okay, to these demons, to leave. Like that's... That's ministry. I mean, look at, look at, at every, every situation, whether it's your personal life or someone that you're walking through something with. I mean, the before and the after, the difference maker is always going to be Jesus speaking into the situation. He's always going to be, that's, that's it. So everybody else is seeing this and they're flipping out and they don't know what to do and they're asking Jesus to leave and all this kind of stuff. And you have this guy sitting there, restored, in his right mind. And now he wants to go with Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, let me, let me come with you. I mean, what an asset, right? I mean, what a, like, make it 13. This guy's got a story. And Jesus says, no. You go home and you tell everybody what the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the guy goes, verse 20 says, he went away, began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Okay, so from this point on, I'm totally speculating, okay, but I'm not the first one to speculate about this. So this guy goes back to the Decapolis, okay, to the pagan ten-city region, the place where Jesus had just been asked to leave. He just goes and tells people whatever. Now, don't know what happened to him. I mean, they may have, they may have, well, they may have just strung him up and not listened to him or whatever. But the way the book of Mark goes, Jesus comes back later on. Remember when he fed 4,000 people? That was in Decapolis. And there... He was, when he went back, he, they were much more cordial to him. 
And they were welcoming to him. And Jesus' ministry in the Decapolis was, was different after this first you know, encounter. So he went back. People were like, oh, Jesus, come on. And he fed these 4,000 people. And then a ton of them followed him around for three whole days. The same guy they had asked to leave. By the third century, there was a, an official Christian minister, missionary, whatever, in each of, the, each of the cities in the Decapolis. A place that had rejected anything, anything about Jesus, about Judaism, about whatever. By the third century, they had, you know, a, basically a church in every one of those cities. By the fourth century, the, Decapolis, the entire region was completely Christian. Now, sure... The wheels have kind of come off in history since then. A lot of crazy, weird stuff has happened. But who knows the kind of impact that the crazy demon-possessed guy had when, he, when Jesus told him no and Jesus said, you go and you tell people, and the dude went and did it. What if that paved the way for Christ to come in later on and to feed all those people? And what if that just led to all, just all these dominoes just going down of ministry and whatever? I mean, I don't, we don't know. But maybe. Who know, I mean, who knows? It's cool to think about. Something made a difference in the Decapolis region. And we know that the difference maker was Christ. Because really the whole region had the same before and after picture. I mean, the whole region was controlled by whatever. And then it was better, all because Jesus spoke into things. We don't know when and how, but... So I go back to these, these disciples. Um, see, you know, here they are following this rabbi, but the way, that, the way they typically would work is after your bar mitzvah, you would study up real well, and you would find a rabbi that you wanted to learn from, and you would approach that rabbi, and you would you know, ask him. You'd say, I want to join your, I want to be one of your disciples, your Talmudium. And then uh, the rabbi would basically um, put you through all these tests, not like feats of strength and stuff, but he would ask you questions about the scriptures and about the Lord and just about all this stuff. And he'd just really kind of put you through the ringer before he accepted you as one of his disciples. If you were accepted, then you left your family for a while and you fought, literally followed this rabbi every, everywhere he went and he taught along the way and all this kind of stuff. And you, But if you were refused, then you went into work with your family kind of went into the family business or whatever. You went to the workforce. So Jesus, the fact that he goes and he pulls some of his disciples off of the fishing boats, you know, with their family, and Matthew was a tax collector and whatever, that tells us that all 12 of these guys have been rejected by rabbis because every good Jewish boy, that's what you did, you your first choice was to get in with the rabbi, and your second choice was to go to work with the family. And all these guys were working with their family, which means they had been told no, that you are not, you're not qualified, you're not good enough. So it actually kind of works in reverse, the fact that the rabbi came to them. That's kind of weird. Kind of awesome. 
And so here are these ordinary kids who'd been rejected and whatever, and they're, they're in this boat, and they get to see this demon-possessed you know, guy completely. I mean, they experience the storm being calm. They experience this and the feeding of the 4,000 and all this kind of stuff. And I think to, to translate that into ministry, I think none of us really thinks we're that special. I mean, we tend to be like very, you know, self-centered and we have to fight that where, you know, that kind of like, I think I'm awesome. But really, we kind of all like kind of don't, especially when it comes to ministry, because I think all of us are terrified at the thought of someone actually, you know, asking us what we think about something or what we believe about something or asking for our help in some situations. I think that is just an intimidating thing for someone to look you in the eye and to say, uh, I'm addicted to whatever and I don't know what to do. You're a Christian, what should I do? And you're like, Ugh. you know, I think all of us are like, feel completely incompetent to handle that. But Jesus handed over the church to these guys, these kids. And here he is teaching them lessons about ministry has legs and ministry, you, you go and you meet the needs, and he's telling them that I'm the solution to things, and I just need to speak into it. And I think for us, I think it comes down to us really changing the way we look at normal, everyday life. Instead of being like, well, I'm really not that special. I don't know much about theology. I don't know how to you know, do, you know, blah, 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 blah. Just being like, no, um, I'm a missionary sent into the world every single day. Am I commissioned? Yes. When I got saved, I got commissioned. Am I equipped? Yes. Spirit of God inside you. Plus, you're living in a community that's always trying to equip and encourage and whatever. So, yes, you're good to go. But I think it's about something come alive, coming alive in us where we, we really get serious about what he has called us to, both in our own pursuits of holiness and in our life and community together, and our need to reach out to a world who just needs grace all the time. It's all those things happening all the time. And what I'm hoping for my, for my own life is that I mean, here I am, you know, teaching this stuff and preaching this stuff, but like, I mean, I go to Walmart and don't talk to anybody on purpose, don't smile, get aggravated. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I understand. If you think I'm like a missional guy going to Walmart, then come with me. I'll show you. <laughs> I know that it's difficult. I know that it's something that's not on my radar as much as it should be, but I want it to be, you know. I don't think it was on these guys' radar either. I think this is one way that Jesus put it on there, and he was like, hey, watch this. I think God has done that among us. I think he's been like, hey, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this for four years. I think he wants to, to continue to change our lens and change the way we view each other, the way we view ourselves, and the way we view the people that we live with and work with, come in contact with all the time. I know that's a constant theme here at the ring, but I really think it's something he's continuing to shape and, and continuing to focus like, in a more clear way for us. I think this story, like I said, you may not come up against a lot of demon-possessed people, but we come in contact with people that are hurting all the time, all the time, all the time. And solution is the same all the time. And that's why we go, to bring the words and the grace and the love of Christ everywhere we go. This summer, I think, 
will help refine us and shape us and grow us and focus us and prepare us in ways that we have no idea about. Who knows at the end of the summer how different things could look for us if we seriously pursue what he has for us. It's going to be good. Let me, let me pray. Father, I'm, I'm always just humbled that you want us to be a part of what you're doing at all. Because honestly, I feel like I just, just mess it up. There's the chances of me messing it up are so high, it almost seems like you wouldn't even want me to get near it. But yet, it's what you've called me to, you've called all of us to. You've empowered us, you've equipped us, you call us to just abide. And so I pray, Father, that in our church, that you would um, you just give us, give us a renewed vision for what our lives could look like. Not just about breaking bad habits and all this kind of stuff. Not in a self-help kind of way or just be, living a happier life. Just a life that is built on what is most important. Because we say, we say that you are most important and what you've called us to is most important. Sometimes we just really just struggle to connect with that on a Tuesday. So Father, even now, I just pray that you would refocus our lens, connect us to the truth of what you came to do, what you poured into those disciples and then they poured into disciples and for hundreds of years have been just passing it on and passing it on and passing it on and now we have it. And our desire to be faithful with what you've called us to. Thank you for your love, Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going we're gonna to do this song that um, you probably know. Why don't you all stand up?